Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And today we're going to talk about harbingers. Harbingers are something that uh, has come up recently on our network. It's also been coming up in places like uh, different religious programs and uh, Glenn Beck show. There's a Jewish rabbi, I think, yeah, rabbi, who has uh, written a book called The Harbinger, and he correlates it to the events of 9-1-1 and the events on 2008 of this uh, economic glitch. <laughs> I don't know. We're, are we supposed to call it a recession? Are we supposed to call it a uh, depression? Are we supposed to call it a bump? Uh, it was when the balloon busted. And uh, millions and millions of people lost their homes. They lost their life savings. But I guess it depends on who you are and how it affected you as to what we're going to call it. Uh, to some people, it was the end of the world. I mean, there were suicides that came out of these events. Uh, people's lives were destroyed. And they are still under a tremendous economic burden. This, this is probably one of the worst economic events that we have had in our known history and yet we're skating along pretty comfortably in it for most people I mean we don't see the people that have been kicked out of their homes and the millions of people that have lost their homes we don't really see them on the news we don't even see the bread lines we've had millions upon millions upon millions of people in a bread line in America today and we don't see them they're invisible it's invisible bread lines and it's because these people now we have a very clever system called food stamps uh, we call it food stamps but they actually have a what is it EBT card where they can get uh, these food programs uh, where they can go buy food in the regular grocery stores and they'll be in the line right in front of you and they're actually going to get food for free or virtually for free. At least some portion of their food for free. And that's a bread line. But you don't have to suffer the humiliation of standing in a bread line. You just show them your EBD card with uh, as much arrogance and uh, uh, pomp as you wish. And uh, then you go out with that. And uh, there was just a story on the radio just before this that talking about how people are still receiving government benefits while they're already incarcerated in jails. And that was supposed to stop, but it just keeps on going. Bureaucracy at its finest. But anyway, uh, this economic crunch is devastating. Uh, just saw a video the other day, Stephen uh, Melano, who is a very intelligent fellow uh, and uh, very... Uh, I'm not going to say he's anti-government. He's kind of an anarchist. Uh, he believes that in freedom of the individual. He believes in individual responsibility. 
and uh, he talks about it a great deal on the internet. Uh, he's also an atheist, and uh, he uh, is a little bit stuck on that atheism thing because uh, he kind of threw out anything to do with God when he threw out anything to do with the church. Well, I kind of threw out everything to do with the church, but now I run a website called His Holy Church, and that seems to be a contradiction. But what I realized is that what the church was supposed to be has been hijacked by unbelievers who say they are believers. They say they believe in Jesus Christ, and they don't really believe in Jesus Christ, and they're doing something absolutely the opposite of what Jesus Christ said. They're, and they claim that they're following the gospel of Paul, and they're actually doing the exact opposite of what Paul said. And they're able to do this because they have a cognitive dissonance about what Paul actually said. They they take the bits and pieces they like, they interpret them, and then they just keep repeating them over and over again. It's a copy-paste, copy-paste. And they don't actually know what they're talking about because they have carefully taken Paul out of the context of Paul. And before they did that, they took Paul out of the context of Christ. And they actually say that there's multiple Gospels. There's the Gospel of Christ, and then there's the Gospel of the Apostles, and then there's the Gospel of Paul. And these are all different. Even though Paul says he preaches the Gospel of Christ and the Gospel of God, and uh, it's the God of Christ, and he says all these things, but they don't even look at that. They just go through looking for self-justification rather than actual righteousness. And they actually say that they're saved because they believe in Jesus and that salvation cannot be taken away no matter what they do. They can murder, cheat, steal, um, be workers of iniquity and it will not be taken away. Their salvation will never be affected because they believe in the salvation of Jesus Christ. It, it is... And they have become exactly what they often say that they hate. But they can't see it. There's a cognitive disconnect. They they absolutely can't see it. It's it's the zombie apocalypse uh, when it comes to these matters. Forever studying, but never really coming to the fullness of understanding. And uh, so anyway, in why I, I go off on that tangent because it's really uh, close to my heart where I see people just absolutely. Uh, in this zombie apocalypse today, most of them are socialists, but there's actually zombies who are conservatives, uh, pro-gun rights and everything else. And I suppose there's probably nothing more dangerous than a zombie with a gun. Uh, well, they haven't had movies like that yet. The zombies are all just, you know, they they don't usually carry weapons. But actually, they did have one. I think there was one with uh, Vincent Price years ago that... Uh, some of the zombies were not full-fledged zombies, and they, they looked just like everybody else. And, and that's exactly what we have today. They still cannot seem to make a connection in their mind as to the problem. And we're going to get to that before we get to the end of the show, hopefully. But we're going to talk about this book of the Harbinger. And it all comes from uh, an interpretation of Isaiah 9.10 where this quote comes and says, The bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. And they read this, and then they look at the events of 911, 
And just briefly, I'll give you some of those events. I mean, there was something that hit uh, some buildings, and those buildings fell down, and buildings nearby also fell down uh, into their footprint, and uh, smoke came up, and everything was destroyed in what they call Ground Zero in New York. And when that happened, one building still stayed virtually untouched, even the windows were not broken. But out in front of that building, there was a big sycamore tree that was literally knocked down and uprooted right in the uh, in the yard of this other building. And the other building was a church. It's a St. Paul's church, even. Uh, it's a little chapel-type church, uh, and it's actually one of the oldest, I think it is the oldest church standing in America that uh, stems back even before George Washington. And it is actually the church that after George Washington's first inaugural address, he walked to with the people that were there at that inauguration and knelt down and prayed, literally dedicating this country to God by his prayers uh, at that church. And that church is still standing. It was not destroyed like all the other buildings around it. But the sycamore tree was knocked over. And assumedly, there was another tree put in its place. may not have been exactly a cedar tree. It was some sort of uh, uh, maybe a conifer or, or something that was kind of an evergreen tree. It wasn't a sycamore. And it comes down from a helicopter and they put it into the place. And, and they show little videos. I'm sure if you look up Harbinger and... Uh, on YouTube, you will find these videos. The rabbi was Jonathan Kahn, C-A-H-N. He was on the Sid Roth show, and then he was also on uh, Glenn Beck show. And so, you can see those interviews if you want to see them. And it's very interesting, the things that he put together. They talk about uh, build with hewn stones, and of course, he shows vi- video footage of like the mayor of city officials coming down with a hewn stone out of the mountains to start the process of rebuilding. And they're going to rebuild the the buildings that they put up there. They, the bricks had fallen and now they were going to rebuild with hewn stones. And they start with this big hewn stone that they brought down out of the mountains, smooth, polished on on some sides. And uh, they end up putting in this other tree instead of the sycamore. And so he says that this is a harbinger because they actually even have uh, footage of men in government who quote Isaiah 9.10 in reference to the events of 9.11. They do it both... uh, uh, at the time of 911, I think it was the the day after, and they do it also later on. I think one year anniversary. Uh, there's reference to it when they go and they describe uh, the new beams going into the n- new building and talking about they will rebuild. What they don't realize, and uh, is pointed out in this book, Carpenter, is that this statement in Isaiah is not God's game plan. It's the game plan of vain men 
who have gone against God and God sends them a warning uh, where the bricks fall and instead of repenting they say we will build again with hewn stones and where there was sycamore we will put cedars and so I have not read the book so I don't know what his final conclusion is but I assume what they're trying to say is that we need to repent and get back to church get back to God the problem is from my personal survey of all the ministers in the country and now I'm going to have to get into a bold and arrogant statement uh, I don't see hardly a single one of them actually trying to get back to where God said we were supposed to be they want you to come back to church they want you to tithe they want you to do all these things but they don't actually want you to get back to where God said you're supposed to be and most of the Christians are not following Christ. They're not even following Paul. And they have invented whole doctrines that are actually absolutely diametrically policy-wise in opposition to Christ. They have led the people into systems that are named by Christ as making the Word of God the none effect. They they have taken the people back to the systems that Moses said was wrong. And they are devout Jews that are following these ways diametrically opposed to Moses. They are devout Christians that are following ways that are diametrically opposed. And I'm using this word diametrically opposed to Christ. What is with these guys? (laughs) Uh, They just don't understand. They don't know what Christ was really preaching. And so that's why we're going to talk about some of these things. So I did find it kind of fascinating, some of these parallels. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting parallels that come about. And we have to be careful because the devil will build parallels to keep you distracted. I mean, he wants to keep you distracted. That is his plan. His plan is one of distraction, sleight of hand, uh, sophistry to get you to do something contrary to what uh, you really should be doing. And uh, uh, if you look at some of these words, like uh, cutting and hewing uh, down in uh, reference to uh, that quote, and Anyway, in Isaiah 9.10, it talks about the bricks are fallen down and that they had built with bricks. Well, bricks, what are bricks made out of? Bricks are made out of clay. And, of course, in the Old Testament, they talk about altars of clay and they also talk about altars of stone. And those altars of stone are to be made with unhewn stone. And so, what this is really talking about is the you. What are the altars of clay? Altars of clay, you're made out of Adama and the altars of clay are made out of Adama. That is what, that is the clay. That's not just any old clay. It's Adama. You are made of Adama clay. That's why you are sons of Adam. And that clay, when they talk about altars of clay, they're talking about living people being the altars. And every family is an altar of clay. It's an accumulation of the sons of Adam 
in the only institution created by God originally, which was the family. So whenever they're talking about altars of clay, they're talking about the family. And families gather together and they're not, they're not, uh, hewn together, they're just clay. Okay? They're just free assemblies. But then they talk about altars of stone, that you can create altars of stone. Now, altars of stone are the ministers. The Levites were altars of stone. In the, in the New Testament, they talk about living stones. Talking to the church, you are living stones. And of course, actually, if you read the book, Thy Kingdom Come, you will begin to understand that the altars of stone and altars of clay that they talk about in the Old Testament, including the unhewn altars of stone, were actually people. That is what the language is. We show that a gathering of stones is a council of men. Same exact word in the Hebrew language for a gathering of stones is a council of men. And this would be the council of elders of families coming together to decide certain matters. Not in a corporate entity, but in a free assembly. Because they're just gathering of stones. Why unhewn stones? Because you can't regulate them. They have to be free to speak their mind and to do what they do. They come in and if if they were hewn stones, if 51% of them voted a certain way, everybody would have to go along with them. If they were, because they are, you know, mortared together and hewn and fit together so they have to go along with the others. But you don't do that. You don't want hewn stones. You want unhewn stones to build your altar so that when you get together with nine other uh, clods of clay, in other words, families, altars of clay, and you pick a minister, and he becomes the stone of your altar, and he gathers together with nine other stones like himself, then now you have an altar of stone, but they fit together without regulations. Nobody's making up rules. I mean, God's made up rules. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not steal. Uh, Okay, all those rules are there, but you don't hew the individual and regulate him with 20,000 or 100,000 or 200,000 or a million statutes. They are unhewn stones. And you lay your sacrifice on them and they take care of the needy of your society. And if they do a good job, you keep laying your sacrifice on them. If they don't do a good job, you stop laying your sacrifice on them and lay it on another. Because you're not an incorporation, you're a free assembly. And you work together seeking righteousness, not only for yourself, but for others. This is what the Old Testament was talking about. And most of the Christians today, most of the Jews today, have no idea of that. So when they read these uh, statements like we see in, in Isaiah, they don't understand what they're talking about because they don't understand the symbolism of the bricks have fallen. Today in America, the families are in absolute decimated disarray. Fathers don't take care of their wives and their children. They divorce readily. They They are unforgiving. Uh, wives do the same thing with their husbands. They are not wives to their husbands or husbands to their wives. And they are neither are often uh, parents to their children. They farm their children out to schools, to unsafe, no-gun zones, uh, schools, where their people can come in and murder their children at will. Those events 
are actually satanic events that are the result of the parents sacrificing their children to the Nebo gods of Molech and Marliduk. That's actually what's taking place in the spiritual realm, and we see it actually manifesting itself in the physical realm. So, in the spiritual realm, the bricks have fallen long before the actual bricks hit the pavement, because the people have fallen to allow this to come about. They've done all kinds of things to bring this about. They've given men power who are poor watchmen on the wall who are actually not. They're just watching out for themselves. They're not watching out for you. And they don't see this because you're not watching out for your neighbor. So you become blind to this spiritual effect that's taking place. And so when you see this, they come along with their pride and arrogance rejecting God, which you've already done. You did that way back when you elected men who could exercise authority one over the other. That's when you rejected God, when you elected the Sauls of your world. Remember, the election of Saul was a rejection of God. So you already had rejected God a long time ago, and now you've gotten to the point where the bricks have fallen. And now the actual buildings are falling down in suit with that. And now, instead of repenting, you say, oh, we're going to build with hewn stones. And now you see more and more regulated ministers and priests being put over you, and you call them bureaucrats and public servants and all that stuff. But those are your ministers and priests. But they are very highly regulated. So they will have to send money to undeserving people, your money. They will collect your money with a gun. They, you're living by the sword because you wanted it to collect from your neighbor. They get to collect from you. And so now these hewn stones go around with badges and guns and rule over you. And that's what they're doing. They have cut down the sycamore. And in the second half of the show, we'll get into why, why are they saying sycamore? And what is that word sycamore? has been cut down. What does it actually represent? And they have changed it to cedars. And what does that mean? And what is the solution? Eventually we're going to get around to the solution to how you can overcome this. You are in a... These harbingers are telling you that you have already gone way down the road in the wrong direction. And now you've got to turn around and come back. You've got a long ways to come back. It's not going to be instantaneous. Don't just file a couple of little papers and then presto bingo, you're back in heaven again. It doesn't work that way. I mean... Uh, Some of you might get hit by a bolt of lightning on the road to Damascus, but most of you are going to have to come back the hard way. And even Paul had to come back the hard way. He was blind for a while, and then he had to do all kinds of soul searching and, and struggling to get back on track. Because he was so brainwashed before. I mean, But he was dead. He was a zombie. Like all those other zombies out there today. And he was going around killing people, you know, like they do on the shows. He was doing that. He was murdering people. Because he was a zombie. He was dead. But now he lives again. Unfortunately, most of the people reading Paul today are dead. (laughs) They don't get it. They don't see what's happening. They, They are confused about Paul. Paul was in agreement with Christ. And I understand when people are looking at Paul now, a lot of people are very upset with Paul and say, oh, he was leading the church away. And if you actually believe what most people are saying about Paul, you might think that's true. I understand how this is very deceptive stuff. 
But when you really understand Paul and realize who's he talking to, this is one of the big problems. Everybody thinks Paul says that you know about us being saved. You may not be one of those us's. You may not be a part of the salvation that Paul is talking about. He wasn't writing Ephesians to you. He was writing them to the people at Ephesus. <laughs> and you weren't at Ephesus. And he was only writing them to the faithful at Ephesus. And we're going to find out more about what all that means when we get back on the second half of Keys of the Kingdom. I'm back, and uh, we're talking about harbingers. Get my cords all untangled, trying to fix my mouse so I can do this show. (laughs) I can't find any good batteries. But anyway, um, we were talking about this Isaiah 10. The bricks are fallen down, and we were explaining that bricks are made of clay, and you're made of the same clay. These are Adama bricks. But uh, they were going to build again with hewn stones. And it was a highly regulated society. And they were going to provide all the benefits of society through this regulated society. Through these hewn stones. And your priests and ministers today, like I say, carry badges and guns and follow according to all kinds of regulations and rules that are... uh, not uh, what God originally wanted for you. So, anyway, um, this uh, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn wrote this book, Harbinger, and it's a very interesting book about this 911 incident and some of the aftermath that was taking place after the fact. And he talks in it about... Uh, what should have been taking place on 911? And I remember back, I was in somebody else's house. We don't have regular TV reception here. We don't have any satellite dish. But I was in somebody's house and I happened to be working on something and they had uh, a news program on and it actually had the Pope there saying that he was declaring a year of Jubilee. And if you have studied the Bible, you know the year of Jubilee is when you forgive debt. Except they didn't really forgive any debt in that year of Jubilee. They just all celebrated, I guess. I don't know what they were doing, but they didn't forgive any debt. But anyway, according to him, this Shemitah, which is this uh, year of Jubilee, this year of release, where you release people from debt, ended up being on this kind of 911 period. And, uh, but they, uh, but we instead we had this harbinger of this terrible event falling down and other guys saying we're going to rebuild with hewn stones in defiance of God. And if you go back and you read that in the Bible and you read it in text, you see that what they were talking about was a warning from God that that was not heeded and instead they did just the opposite. And here we have government officials saying we're going to do just the opposite. They're actually quoting the Bible where Israel continued to rebel. They actually quote it out in the state capital uh, or in New York and then in the, the nation's capital that they're going to do this. And it's, it's almost, 
you know, uh, comical or amazing that this goes on. But the reality is it is a harbinger and it is warning of further things. And exactly seven years after that event, when they should have been forgiving debt, we have this huge debt crisis that takes place in 2008. And... Instead of forgiving the debts of all the people that had these mortgages out, uh, and their, you know, they had a mortgage out for three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars, and the bubble collapses, and suddenly their homes are worth one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars at best, if they could even find anybody to buy them, and they're paying four hundred thousand dollars for something that's worth half as much as what they started paying. Well, that's insane. I mean, and. People are losing jobs and people's uh, work is being cut back and their wages are cut back and it's almost impossible. And so they lose their homes and they lose their savings and they lose everything. Uh, they lose their businesses and jobs and we, the economy is ground to a, a standstill. If it had been a year of jubilee and, and your governments would have repented, they would have said all banks must renegotiate loans according to their actual value. That's a minimum. They could have actually forgiven all those loans. And you say, well, that doesn't seem fair. I didn't have a loan out. I wasn't buying anything on time. Why should they get their house for free? The fact is that you want to stimulate the economy. That would have stimulated the economy. But okay, if you're, if you're, you're not going to be that forgiving and you didn't know that was coming, you know, back in the days of Israel, if they ever did have a year of Jubilee, I don't know if they ever actually really successfully did it exactly the way they should have but uh if they if you knew it was coming at the end of 7 years you had to return property all your contracts would have been written that way but that isn't the way they wrote them so it would be a little bit unfair to suddenly say this guy who just borrowed 400,000 dollars gets his house back for free uh that wouldn't have been that would seem to be a little unequitable but the reality is it would have stimulated the economy like you would not have believed because suddenly he's not making house payments but he's still going to be spending money and if he's not spending money he's going to be putting money into savings and the more money you put into savings the less you have to print you can actually borrow from what you're saving we don't have capitalism in the United States we haven't had capitalism in this country since 1913 you you're out there loaning debt notes you're not loaning capital you're loaning debt and that's not the same thing capital is like you put a thousand dollars in a bank or in a depository and somebody takes that thousand dollars you know you put it say in an investment broker you don't just put it in the bank and that investment broker invests it in you know a business and the guy pays back the money to there and you get your money back plus interest. It's just like you're buying shares in a business. And the way you get your shares out is based on interest that you have and the profits of that business. That's, that's reasonable. That's not usury. That's investing in one another. But that isn't what you guys are doing you're investing debts that you don't even have the money that you don't even have and now you you've just gone into this mountain and mountain and mountain of debt and you didn't even see it coming although there were some people that were warning you because you had already turned away from god a couple hundred years before 
when you elected Saul to be your king. And then, you know, of course, you elect a new Saul every four years, and sometimes it's new, sometimes it's the same old, same old Saul. But you're still electing somebody to fight your battles for you and exercise authority one over the other. And then you move from that error to a place where you're actually returning to the bondage of Egypt. You did that about a hundred years ago. Uh, to one degree or another. You started your central treasury and you, and you created your Corby system of statutory bondage and, and you created a Corbin system that made the word of God to none effect, you know, in 1933. And you just steadily been going farther and farther away from God. And the, all you bricks out there, all you clay altars out there have fallen. You've fallen for sin. And you've fallen against the ways of God. And then now your buildings are actually crumbling, your economy is actually crumbling, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what's going wrong? Well, you went wrong. you you got to go back to the way you should have been doing it. And you can do that on an individual basis, although you have to gather together with a few other individuals to really make it happen. But you can actually start going back to where it was. So instead of having a shmitah, a release, and releasing all the people from the debt, or at least saying they could at least renegotiate to the actual market value of their house and pay off that loan, which wouldn't have hurt the banks at all. The banks would have still been making money because they didn't really loan you anything anyway. But they didn't. They weren't in the forgiveness of debt. What they did is create more debt by borrowing more money and paying it to the bankers. <laughs> Who really, the motivation behind that was they, most of that money went overseas to buy junk paper that was worthless so that other people would turn around and buy more treasury notes from overseas so they could keep printing more money and put you farther and farther into debt. This is the, that was their actual plan. They, they're not going to tell you on Fox News, I know, but that's because you're listening in all the wrong places. If you were listening to God, you'd just see this. And some of you are actually beginning to see it. But okay, but you got to keep listening to God and acting upon what He's telling you. And the fact is, you went the wrong way way back. And then you just went farther and farther and farther down that wrong road. You took took a turn, wrong turn, way back. And then you just kept going down that wrong road, you're going to have to stop, put on the brakes, turn around and go the other way. Most of the people aren't going to want to go the other way. You're going to have to do it. So anyway, this what is this Shemitah? Um, it's actually composed of uh, four letters, the Shin, Mem, Tet, Hey. And if those of you, and this is really hard to do on the radio, I should make videos and show you some of this in my spare time. If you support this ministry more, we might have be able to get more help in doing it. But anyway, uh, uh, but that's okay. I'm just going to do with what I got. And if God doesn't put it on your heart, then maybe it's because you don't deserve to have it laid out on a nice video. <laughs> you, you're going to have to do some homework. Because the big problem isn't the lack of money. The big problem is the lack of the Holy Spirit operating in the individual's. And how does that Holy Spirit come in? You have to become like Christ. Christ came to serve. If you don't come to serve, then neither should you be served. 
And so it's actually working out exactly the way it deserves to work out for you. We don't we don't have any shortage here. We're doing okay. Uh, but we could do more for you if you would do more for others. But that's your choice. And I, I can live with your choices. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of you are not going to be able to live with your choices. And a lot of you are going to die. And you deserve to die. And you deserve to be under tribute. And you deserve to be zombies. Because you won't let the Holy Spirit in. And because you've rejected God. And you've rejected God a long time ago. So anyway, this this Shemitah, Shin, means kind of an eternal flame, a revelation. Bound to the coal of divine essence. Okay? Um, it actually is correlated with the idea of teeth or uh, consume. And... Uh, 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 and destroy. And there's always a good and bad meaning to every letter in the uh, Hebrew alphabet. When they add the mem as a second letter rather than the end letter, it, it a mem normally has to do with fountain or water or the flowing of something. It has to do with like power and energy flowing. Uh, Something, you know, like water, like in a spring flowing, which is nurtures and all that stuff. But this is at the beginning of the word, up there with that consuming uh, spark. But it has another letter, tet, introversion, uh, to uh, which has to do with a concealed power. Uh, and actually sometimes represented by a twisted snake. Uh, around something, to surround something. But it also can have to do with uh, the period of gestation because, you know, a, a child is hidden uh, in the womb. Uh, hey, on the end of a letter uh, or word, is actually always emphasizing something as if thought, speech, action. It, it is the culmination of the idea that is expressed in the first three uh, letters. Now, the first three letters, again, have to do with this uh, release. And actually, the word means, if you just have the shmit without the smicha, uh, you have release. But with the... So, this is in reference to releasing, reversing the flow. You You have everything flowing out, you're in debt, and you're reversing the flow... And you're turning things around and going the other way. You're letting go. And, you know, most of what getting into the kingdom is about is letting go. Letting go of all the lies that you're clinging to. Letting go of all the anger and judgment that you're clinging to. You know, forgiving, that sort of thing. Giving, that sort of thing. That's what getting into the kingdom is about. Because that's the nature of God. God is a giver of life. Yeah, but you're trying to pluck knowledge out of the tree of knowledge and you use that knowledge to rule over your brothers. And that's a big mistake. Now, that was just a little glimpse at the word Shemitah, which actually isn't in that verse, but but is what they're referring to is that you should have had your ju- your jubilee and forgiven all that debt and you didn't do it. You should have done things, you know, years before, back in 1977. And, and th- all these are critical periods of time where you could have repented and turned around but as a people you didn't do that and the fact is it's to the point now where you individually are going to have to repent and gather together with anybody you can find that is willing to repent because 
the zombies are out in force. Most people do not want to repent. And that's just all. You're not going to turn this around with vote. They're going to keep voting and voting and voting the wrong way. You know, like my old submarine story. And there's nothing you can do about it. So, anyway, uh, this word sycamore. Now, this word sycamore, it's not really, it's translated sycamore in, in the King James Bible, but it's also a fruiting fig and other uh, Bibles. And it's composed of several letters as well. And, uh, you know, most of the Hebrew words are three letters long. And the first letter in this is shin, kuf, mem. With the mem at the end, which is significant. Okay, Shem again is this uh, eternal flame of revelation, bound to a coal of divine essence, and and whatever that means. You have to learn to think almost an abstract sort of way to understand the Hebrew language when they're using these words to symbolize concepts. If they were actually just talking about a sycamore tree. And we've shown you this before, you know, like the Levites were supposed to get the uh, kidneys and kidney fat. And actually, just the other day, I think it was the day before yesterday, we uh, butchered a, uh, an old sheep. And uh, we had a young guy here who was learning how to butcher an old sheep. And so we were taking things out, and I reached in and grabbed the kidneys. And I pulled out the kidneys all covered in that juicy kidney fat. And I handed it to him, I said, well, you're a Levite. So you get the kidneys. Because <laughs> they would always get the kidneys. But, of course, that's not what the Bible is telling you. And anybody who really knew the meaning of the words in Hebrew should know that, that that's not what you're giving the Levite is the kidneys. Because I can guarantee you there wouldn't be a Levite left around if all he ever got to eat was kidney and kidney fat. That is not a tasty dish. Uh, but anyway... Uh, the word kidney is the same exact Hebrew word, no difference, to reigns. And it's, it's translated reigns 18 times. And why reigns? Because that's the thing that controls what is given. They have the reins of control over your, your gift. You lay a offering on this living stone altar, this Levite who gathers together with others without regulation and not being hewn, and they perform the functions of government. Because you, the offering you given, he has reins of control. And uh, and another fellow standing there said, uh, it, you ought to get at least a good rump roast out of it. And I, so I turned to him and I says, do you know what the Hebrew word for the rump of a sheep is? Because they talk about dividing that up when they talk about the sacrifice. And, uh, they, of course, they didn't know. And I says, it's Elijah. <laughs> That's what Elijah means. It, it, it means the rump. But it also means a gift of God. Or a gift to God. Or a gift from God. It's God's gift. You know, what you're giving to God. And so what you're doing is when you make an offering on this living stone and this living altar, you're giving him a gift, but you're not giving it to him. You're giving it to God, and you want him to use it for God's purposes. And he has the reins of control over it because it's burnt up to you. 
You don't set it on fire. You distribute it to the needy and and you no longer have any say-so over how he distributes it. Just like in any other government. You know, when you pay your taxes and they want to go spend them here and there, you don't have any say-so over it. But the difference is, you don't have to pay him next week. If he doesn't do a good job, you don't have to pay him. Because you're not under contract to pay him. It's your choice as to which minister you will fund in your government. That's a free government. And that's what God was having Moses teach the people how to do. And that's what Jesus was teaching the apostles how to do. He said you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. You aren't to live by the sword. You aren't to compel offerings by the sword. John the Baptist said, you got two coats, your neighbor doesn't have any, you share. You choose who to share with, how to share it, etc. But you come together in groups and you do it efficiently and fervently and reverently and righteously. And that's seeking the kingdom. If you're not doing that, if you're going and praying to men who exercise authority, please take away from my neighbor so that I can have more stuff. You're the antithesis of Christ. You're anti-Christ. You don't believe in Christ. You're the antichrist. So anyway, let's get back to the sycamore. And I don't know, we won't get all this done in this show, but there's always another show coming up. Uh, but anyway, the uh, the sycamore has these three letters. The first one is this eternal flame, revelation uh, bound to this coal of divine essence. You know, God is the div- divine essence. Now, this can have a good meaning and a bad meaning. It depends on the rest of the the word and how it's used. Second part of the word is this kuf, or kaf, which they talk about it being omnipresent, redemption, the fallen spark, paradoxical, Union of a resh and a zian, holiness or separateness. Uh, they even refer to it as the back of the head when you're talking about a thing uh, behind the last or the least of a thing. So anyway, and then the last thing here is this fountain of water, a fountain of divine wisdom. Again, the mem. So, that's what the word actually is. It can refer to a fruiting fig. And that's what's interesting. They talk about fruit. Why did Jesus take the kingdom away from the Pharisees? He said, he told them, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. And he says this. And that's why you know the kingdom was already there. He wasn't coming up with a new kingdom. He was getting people to repent the same as John the Baptist and go back to the kingdom. He was restoring the kingdom. He wasn't going to put it in old uh, wineskins. He was going to start over fresh and new. He was priest and high king. And he's saying, okay, this is I'm going to take it away from you because you did not bear fruit. And he's going to give it to others that did bear fruit. And what are they cutting down? The sycamore. The fruit. uh, The fruiting fig. The mem was not flowing from this sycamore. This fig tree was not bearing fruit. I cut it down. And it dies. And the fact is, your system of taking care of the needy of society is not pure religion. 
and it is not bearing fruit. And so, therefore, the falling of that sycamore outside of that little chapel there is a manifestation of the spiritual reality you have already created in the world. Just like the the death of those children at that uh, gun-free zone school is a manifestation of what you are creating in your fruitless, cowardly, dead society. And all you have to do is let God breathe life back into you and start following the ways of God. And He will do the rest. He will He will change it. But if you're just going to have the things the way you've been doing them, you're going to continue not to bear fruit. Your children are going to continue to be sacrificed. That is the tip of the iceberg. That's a harbinger. The event at that school. You're going to see millions of children die in the future if you don't start repenting, including your own. And all your arrogance. Oh, we're the greatest country in the world. It's going to go away. It's going to disappear in a twinkling of an eye. And when it does, and you haven't repented, remember, you heard me warn you. You can start repenting at that point. But you're going to have to do some deep soul-searching to understand what you're facing. Okay, now, uh, give you an idea. I gave you those uh, words like uh, what they call sycamore there. There's other words. If you take that same two letters, uh, shin, kuf, and put another letter on it, you get another meaning. And we'll look at that in the next show. And we'll talk more about this harbinger. And what we're going to get to is what you can actually do to heed that warning of the harbinger. And until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom.
And uh, we're talking today about harbingers, events the 911, which some say was a harbinger of events to come. And they say that seven years later, there was another harbinger event, which was the economic crash of Wall Street in 2008. And although they kind of hem around it, they suggested that in 2015, there will be another event. (laughs) And maybe there will. I'm not predicting it. I can tell you that the events that are taking place in your life today, physically in your life today, are the result of spiritual choices that you made in your life yesterday and the day before that and the day before that and your parents made 50 years ago and 100 years ago and 200 years ago. And you have been making bad choices for a long time and now you're seeing the results of them and you're surprised. And the problem is is that you have gone away from the ways of God and like I said in the book Harbinger and you can see the videos on the internet of uh, this uh, rabbi who uh, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn who wrote the book Harbinger he's talking about these foretelling and warning that's what a harbinger is it's someone who warns you of things to come and that you should be uh, Uh, preparing for those things to prevent things getting worse. A harbinger is a person who goes ahead and makes known the approach of another herald, anything that foreshadows a future event, an omen, a sign. Uh, Frost is a harbinger of winter, a person who's sent in advance of troops, royal train, etc., to provide a secure lodging and other accommodations. Well, these are warning signs that you're seeing because you you weren't listening to God in your spirit. Some of you might be out there. When I when I talk real hard about all the people and the stupid things that they're doing and the evil things that they're doing, if you're not doing them, you're, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> okay, don't take offense. Uh, I'm I'm not here to talk to the ones who aren't sinning although it would be probably a pretty small audience if I was I'm here to talk about all you guys that are screwing up I'm the harbinger today telling you warning you preparing you and trying to get you to prepare a place for all those other repentant sinners who want to become saints and so that's that's what these events kind of seem to do And what happens in a spiritual world, which we live in a spiritual world in physical bodies, is that the physical realm around you is affected by the spiritual choices you make. Just like if you look at Title 42, Section 666, it says that you have to have a Social Security number to get any kind of a license, business license, marriage license, driver's license, any kind of license. You or you, you can't get in uh, to a bank. You can't get into a business. You can't get a job. You can't do anything. And, of course, those statutes are hewing, oh, excuse me, regulating. That's not really, that's a Freudian slip. It was an intentional Freudian slip. Hewing, <laughs> regulating Federal persons, because those are the federal statutes. Those are the, what is it, uh, 7 million laws that you're under instead of the 700 laws of Moses. And it's because 
you've been breaking the Ten Commandments that you are now under those laws. Because you have been covetous, you have been made merchandise, and so now you're a possession of others, and they regulate. Uh, I won't say they regulate the hell out of you. They regulate the heaven out of you <laughs> because all those regulations are coming from hell. And you deserve those regulations. You wicked, slothful people. Again, you know, if the shoe fits where whichever one of you are wicked and slothful out there. Uh, because you have turned away from God. You rejected God. And he told you that you would end up with leaders who take and take and take and take and take your sons and make their instruments of war. And, you know, you've already been told all that. So, what I'm also saying is the same precepts when you make these choices way in the past. That, you know, where you think it's okay to take from your neighbors so that you can have free education. You think it's okay to take from your neighbors so that you can have a, not a volunteer fire department, but a paid fire department. You, you think all that's okay. And, 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 you know, I was in police work at one time and I left it. Now we had this discussion just last night. I, I left it because I realized that I'm making the world safe for cowards and lazy people. And selfish people. That's not what I wanted as a career in law enforcement. I thought we were, you know, uh, out there protecting and serving. <laughs> but, uh, you know, how I can protect you now? And wake you up to the ways of Christ. And what Christ really wanted you to do. And in the last show, we talked about this this quote from Isaiah. And I'll repeat it in case people don't listen to the show all at once or they just turned in is that this Isaiah 9.10, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. And that reference to hewn stones, we were never supposed to build our altars with hewn stones. And it says the sycamore is cut down, but we will change them to cedars. And again, the sycamore... It is translated sycamore in the King James, but it also in other it's translated fruiting fig, and that's kind of what the letters mean it has to do with fruit bearing this fruit from the beginning, this divine flame of life, the spark of life, the fallen spark, then this fountain of flow of fruit coming from the uh, life itself. And they've cut that down, and you're not because you're you've already cut it down because you're not bearing fruit to begin with. And and I was going to give you some examples at the end of the last show. If you took that same word, which is shem kuf mem, mem meaning the flow, take the mem off and put a lamad on there. Lamad has to do with aspiration of the heart, learn uh, uh, or direct like a shepherd. Uh, you put the lamad on there instead, you get the term weight, shekel, to weigh. Okay? If you take uh, the mem off and put a tet on there, has to do with introversion, that word becomes to rest. And so they're changing the meanings, and, and it's too much over the radio to try to show you these. People have to be able to hold these thoughts up in the air, you know, and and bring these thoughts together but the language of Hebrew is invented 
where each letter means something, they bring the ideas of those letters together and they form another idea and we call that idea a word. Other languages don't do that. Chinese and Japanese do it a little bit, but they don't use such a small alphabet. But you see the same thing, Shem, Kuf, uh, Ian, for instance. And it creates a word that means to sink or drown. Even uh, a word that's translated abomination. Uh, so this is how they do it. How they change words by changing a letter. They change the meaning of the word. And it's really helpful when you're going back into the Old Testament, reading the Hebrew, and trying to figure out what they really meant. Because even the and once you understand the symbolism of the word, you can read it in the English. And no, you're you'd be amazed if you really understood how much you're influenced by what you already know. When you say certain words like you know, and I've given you this example many times, call no man on earth father. And people have a lot of difficulty understanding what that means. Uh, obviously, you're to honor your father and your mother. What does he talk about? Man on earth, father. Well, once you understand that most governments based on the law of the father, that the word he used, that we see used in the Greek text, is patri, the Latin word for father, and also the title of address for all the senators of Rome and even the emperor himself who is known as our father who art in Rome. Now everything starts coming into place when he says, where do you pray? Our father who art in heaven instead of our father who art in Rome. Uh, you do not pray for benefits to our fathers in the senate. Because uh, those guys don't, aren't going to give you anything out of their pocket. They're going to give you stuff out of their neighbor's pocket. Suddenly, the gospel becomes alive. And you say, oh my gosh, he was telling us exactly. And you can read it in the English and know this. Once you are reading the Bible in the context of those who wrote it down. In the context of their life, the context of their history, the context of their times. And they have gone to great efforts... Very powerful people in organizations called church. Not all churches, maybe. Most churches are just duped. But there are people who knew the truth and covered it up. And they covered it up with diplomas <laughs> and degrees and teachings in major universities so that you would not see the simple truth of the Bible. That you actually aren't supposed to be coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of government. So anyway, if we go on to some of these other words uh, and and look at uh, words like the cedar, which is a completely different word. It doesn't have any of the same letters that you saw over there in Sycamore. Uh, it has, um, first letter is Elif. Second letter is Resh. The, second, uh, the third letter is... Um, uh, uh, kind of a, uh, I forgot how you say it, Zayan. And so anyway, the Elif is uh, father, son, beginning. Elif is actually composed of a double Yad. A Yad that's upright and a Yad that's upside down with a Vav in between. At least, it depends on which Hebrew period of time you're looking at the letters. But basically what that is, is it's like the picture of, of, uh, 
Michelangelo where you got God reaching out and touching the hand of man and between the two and their fingers are about re- ready to touch and that's what you, you the elf represents is this father and son man God and man representation Resh almost always has to do with something that's the head and control power uh, a common word you see is sar and there's two forms of it sar resh and sar resh resh sar resh is a leader Sar Resh Resh is a ruler. And because it's double Resh. He's not just the head, he's the ruler. And so this is how they construct their language. And so then the last letter is Zian, which is uh, a word that means service or valor or cut and uh, bread. Uh, it actually can also have to do with war and nourish. So again, all these letters, all these words, all these ideas can have a good side. And they can have a reflective image of that side on the evil side that is the opposite, like light and dark. Uh, they are contrasting ideas. And it depends sometimes how they're used and how they're used within a letter. So you got Elif, God-man, uh, headship as a second letter, not as the end letter. Uh, in other words, God-man being led. Uh, and then the last one, it could mean service and valor, or it could mean uh, ruler and uh, war and force and you know cut as in cut off, and that's exactly what they're talking about. There is this cedar is cutting us off from God even more. This relationship of God and us even more. We're no longer under leaders who lead. We're under rulers who rule. And they're going to hewn stones. They're going to regulate. They're going to appoint men to rule over you and control you. And this is the idea. When you start looking at Hebrew and concepts, you know, I'm, I'm very dyslexic. I can't remember uh, names of people at all because people are not their names. I can remember the ideas and the personalities and all these things, but I, I can't remember. And when people try to spell a word for me up in the air, you know, like, how do you spell this? And they, they, they just rattle off the letters. I, I can't see those letters in there. <laughs> I have a son that's uh, similar to this. Is that when we'd show him the flashcards, and you'd show him an L flashcard, just the L part, he would say lion. And on the back of the card, there is a picture of a lion. He'd memorized the backs of all the cards, but he couldn't remember that the letter was an L. He could just remember that on the back there's a lion. And if you show him a Z, he'd say zebra. Uh, he couldn't remember the word Z. <laughs> he could remember the the image on the back of the card because that's something he could grasp. And so, and that's done with one side of your brain, and the other side of your brain is this more abstract thing where you can hold these ideas up. And everybody can't do this, but everybody can see righteousness if you let Christ into your heart. And into your mind. And that is how he's building his church. He's writing his truth upon your heart and upon your mind. Through direct divine revelation of each of you. And your ministers are not to rule over you and tell you you have to believe this and you have to believe that. Your ministers are to show you this is the truth. They're showing you the way. They're only leaders and and guides. They're not rulers. Don't make them rulers. And that's that's a lot of times your fault. You make them rulers. You look up to them. You put them on pedestals. 
we should not be on pedestals. You have to listen quietly in your own heart and let God lead you. And if you step out of line, I'm going to say, hey, you're doing wrong. I'm going to rebuke all those that I love. As many as I love, I also rebuke. And that's why I'm so hard on all you people sometimes out there in listener land. It's that you haven't been doing what God said. And and I'm not blaming you, but I'm trying to wake you up so you don't remain the slothful. And if you take the the same word, you know, this Elif Resh Zen, which they produce as uh, cedar, and say you take Elif Resh and you put... uh, a chet on the end of it. Uh, you get another word entirely, uh, which means a wayfaring man, a wandering man, because you put this chet on the end. Chet brings a new idea instead of the zian, which has to do with that service or valor or cut. And valor really is a poor definition, but it's kind of what some uh, scholars have put there. But, you know, it's cut or war <laughs> or bread or nourish. You know, see, that's how they, or service, or or uh, when they say valor, uh, it's kind of like courage. Uh, if you, uh, you know, it's kind of like, what, they used to give you IQ tests or something where they would say which of these things are, are similar. And so you got cut and bread, and war and nourish. Well, bread nourishes, and... Uh, so those two are similar. And war and cut, those two are similar. Okay, so now we have uh, service and valor. Well, the order really should be valor and service. And the word valor there should not be valor, but this authority kind of thing. One is service, one is valor. So both these ideas are incorporated in the same letter. So when you say cedar, it can go one way. Or it can go the other way. It could be nourishing. Or it could be like war. And oppressive. It could be like bread. Or it can be like a knife. So anyway. But go on some of the other words. Like Erach. Uh, Elef. Uh, Resh. And uh, Chet. Means a wandering or wayfaring man. Uh, and if you add a hay. It becomes like a company of men. Uh, going out of the way. And if you take it, you hear them write in the Bible about cedars of Lebanon. Well, it's, that's kind of interesting phraseology there because the this uh, cedars of Lebanon, the word Lebanon actually has to do with the word bricks, which is back there up in that Isaiah where the bricks have fallen. And they're replacing them with cedars. Are they replacing them with cedars of Lebanon? Because Lebanon means bricks. Okay, so, I mean, Lebanon makes bricks. That's what that word means. Lebanon makes bricks. You know, so that actually can help you understand a little bit about, you know, uh, Lebanon and and his place in the Bible and why he was given that name. Uh, These all have meanings and it becomes more rich. But really what becomes rich is when God, you let God write up on your heart. And what we're seeing is the world should have been repenting and forgiving debt and going back to a volunteer society that takes care of its needy and pure religion by faith, hope, and charity. And then we would have a society bound together 
by love for one another, by honor for one another, for, because we would be seeking righteousness every day. And that's what your churches should be doing. But they're saying, oh, you're just saved because you believe. You don't have to do anything. You can't lose your salvation. You can be workers of iniquity and you can't lose your salvation because you believed. But I'm saying you didn't believe. Not in the real Jesus. You believed in an artificial Jesus that is a false Jesus that was created in your minds by theologians with way much too much time on their hands and evil intent in their hearts. And you need to repent of that. And what you're seeing in your society, the zombie apocalypse of socialism coming upon you, the crashing of buildings to the ground, the crashings of economies to the ground, are harbingers warning you to repent and make straight the way of the Lord. These same kind of things were happening at the time of Christ in the early church. And they were those that followed the ways of Christ were listening to those harbingers and making ready accommodations for their king in their hearts and in their minds. And that's what you need to be doing right now. And that's why we created the Living Network at HisHolyChurch.org where you can uh, sign in there. You're not signing up. There's no contract. We don't... We don't bind you to anything. I mean, there's a purpose to the groups. But you sign into that group and you see if you can find somebody as near as possible to you. Okay, you can't find somebody next door. They're actually a couple miles away. Maybe they're 20 miles away. Maybe they're 200 miles away. Find somebody and start caring about them. Start caring about them. And they're not going to be perfect. Some of them are going to be very imperfect. I can guarantee you that. I know a lot of the people on the network and it, it, I, I can't think of hardly any of them that are perfect. <laughs> so, uh, and I think most of them should agree and those that don't agree, they're not perfect either. <laughs> they're not going to be perfect but you just have to start loving somebody and Christ came that the whole world might be saved. I'm not trying to get you to save the whole world. I'm trying to get you to think about somebody else besides yourself. The reason we're in this mess, the reason we have been seduced to make one bad choice after another is we have stopped caring about one another. Family is great. Family is a great place to start. You care about your wife. You care about your husband. Okay, so one of them is a jerk now and then. I bet you from time to time you're a jerk. Um, Get over it. Practice your forgiveness skills. Okay, take care of your children. You know, somebody once was on the cliff here above the church property. And uh, actually, the church owns the cliff too. But we were up there and they looked down and they said, I see planes landing right down there. And it was all sagebrush and everything. Uh, I don't I don't think a plane could land there. I found out later that that used to be an old runway. <laughs> and it's actually very flat, gravelly ground. But brush has grown up. And if we get a brush beater, we're going to beat all the brush off. we got somebody who wants to land their plane there already. But he sees planes landing there and bringing in children from all over the country. Now, this is like 20 years ago, the guy told me. We didn't even own the property then. And that's what he said. And he, he came up there with a big shafar. And he blew the shafar. And then he told me what he was seeing. I don't know if he's... 
I don't know if he is a prophet. It hasn't happened yet. If it happens, I'll say, oh my gosh, that was a prophet. <laughs> he's never been back. Oh, I guess he's been back one other time, but hasn't been back in a long time. But um, anyway, the point is, why would I want you to help me take care of those children if you won't take care of your own children? So we're looking for people who take on the burden and responsibility of being a family. And then, once they're good at that, or becoming good at it, or at least working at it, then we want them to come together with other families and help take care of one another when things get rough. This is our survival kit. (laughs) It's a bunch of people who care about each other as much as they care about themselves. They care about righteousness. They care about honor. They care about keeping their word. That's a whole lot better than a bag of beans. I can guarantee you. But it's not cheap either. To find those people, it's going to take sacrifice and time and a little bit of soul searching because, you know, if you find a bunch of people like that, they may not want to have anything to do with you. (laughs) And they say, oh, well, yeah, that's exactly what we are, but we don't see you doing that. So get ye from me, you worker of iniquity. So, you have to conform to the ways of Christ and come together and forgive one another. The world is still going to go out there and cut down the sycamores and put in their cedars, their rulers. They're they're going to take the bricks that have already fallen, the families that are already destroyed, and they're going to make their hewn stones. And they're going to bring about destruction upon you. And and you need to turn around and go the other way. And one of the things it says in Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name. Now that doesn't mean that you know, oh, oh, we're Jehovah Witnesses or we're, uh, what is it, we're Yeshuaites uh, or whatever. That doesn't mean you're called by his name. He means to have the character of, that I have. Are made in my image. Have my character. So the people which are called by my name, known by my ways, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So that's three things already. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. You're going to need that miracle. You're going to need that. It's going to be too bad for everybody who does not repent and pray and seek his face. But you got to seek his real face. Not this fake face you see in most of these churches. This false face that you see in most of these churches today. If most of these churches were right, we wouldn't be getting the results that we're getting here. We're, we've already cut down the sycamore. We're not already not bearing fruit. Look at your society. How many divorces? How many broken homes? How many children r- being raised outside of decent homes? How many? I mean, you're killing each other left and right. You're murdering. you got GMOs coming out your ears. 
And why is that? Because you're dead spiritually. Those of you who are waking up, though, you need to come together and keep waking up. Slap each other in the face now and then. Hey, don't go back to sleep. Come on. Pay attention. Let's gather together. Let's do what's right. Let's seek righteousness. We'll talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about these harbingers and why are we worrying about harbingers that are warning us of things to come? Well, Isaiah 14.21 talks about prepare slaughter for his children for the iniquity of their fathers that they do not rise nor possess the land nor fill the faces of the world with cities. For I will rise up against them, saith the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant and son and nephew, saith the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the bittern and the pools of water, and I will sweep it with a besom of destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. This is that's in Isaiah fourteen. But I can show you other quotes in the Bible that actually can refer to our time. Uh, because these are precepts upon precepts, that a lot of these prophecies are dealing with not just one time, but many times. And we're facing one of the most difficult times in the history of, of the earth. And we're also facing uh, one of the greatest times in the history of the earth. And you can't do anything about either one. But you can choose what side of that history you want to be on. The history of destruction or the history of salvation. The history of the antithesis of Christ or the history of the ways of Christ, the remnant. And neither road is going to be easy. Both roads are going to be hard. But one will bear the sycamore and the other will bear the cedar. One will bear fruit, and the other will bear destruction, war, cutting. And uh, you have to choose which one you want to be a part of. Now, war will come to us all. Violence will come to us all. But if the violence comes out of us, if the hate comes out of us, if the anger comes out of us, the resentment, the devil doesn't care if you hate him. He wants you to hate him. He just wants you to hate. Because hate is his game. Now, yeah, God hates the Nicolaitans, but it's a different kind of hate. The same as all these ideas. There's a dark hate and there's a light hate. The light hate, cockroaches run from. The dark hate, cockroaches thrive in. And so I'm giving you these analogies so you can see. You know, like... uh, you know, cold is the absence of heat. And evil is the absence of good. It will still reflect creation, but in a negative way. Even evil reflects the power of God's creation. It's just doing it in a negative way. And so, you want to be a part of the light. A part of the process. In Jeremiah 9.23 it says, Thus saith the Lord, 
Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Basically in his own wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his own might. Let not the rich man glory in his own riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, God, knoweth God, who God really is, that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Now, God's loving kindness may be sending you a harbinger, a warning of where you're going. I mean, we've had so many warnings of this disaster and people still keep going, well, I'm just going to go to church because it makes me feel so good. You know, you need to repent, turn around and go another way. You know, we talk about that chapel that was left standing in uh, the first show. We were talking about you know, 911, and all these buildings fell. Some were hit by planes, some were not, but they all fell. Uh, and they crashed to the ground. And people quoted that that uh, verse of the bricks have fallen, and we're going to rebuild with hewn stones. But that little chapel that stayed there was unharmed. St. Paul's little chapel, oldest one of the oldest churches. I think it's the oldest church in in the United States. It, back in 1789, when the people decided to have a constitution, I shouldn't say the people, some people decided to have a constitution. Most people were against the constitution. But some of the states acquiesced to the constitution. And we have a book, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitutions, that explains all that. If you haven't read that, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, in 1789, George Washington was inaugurated. And he wasn't inaugurated in the Washington, D.C. because it didn't exist yet. It hadn't been given to, uh, or it actually was sessioned from the state of Maryland. Uh, it was the estate of the Pope. And it was sessioned to, from the state of, from the state of Maryland so that you could create your Washington, D.C., your, your District of Columbia. But it didn't exist yet. So they were in, uh, in New York. And he did his inauguration and he decided he needed to swear on a, uh, on a Bible. And they had, had sent somebody down the road to get a Bible and come back. Uh, it was actually a Mason Bible the, from Masonic Temple that they uh, got the Bible. And he swore in on that. And I think highly of George Washington. I think he, I would rather have him as a neighbor than almost any other politician I know. <laughs> I think he was a great neighbor. But he's a human being and he made a few mistakes. But anyway, what he did after he inaugura- was inaugurated is that he went over and he prayed at that very chapel, dedicating what he was doing in his heart to that. And people often do things that are wrong while they're seeking to do what is right. And they just don't know. They don't know better. They're struggling. I don't know the guy personally. But he made mistakes. And he he actually sounded like he repented of the idea of even having a presidency. If you read some of his writings later. That's not going to come up in your history school books though. Uh, But he was beginning to think that we may have made a mistake. And uh, 
Of course, if you read contracts, covenants, and constitutions, you'll see that the people did make a mistake. Uh, at least the states did. And, but we've made a lot worse mistakes since then. But anyway, he in his inaugural address, he says, Since we ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. And since the preservation of the sacred fire of liberty and the destiny of the republican model of government are justly considered as deeply perhaps as finally staked on the experiment entrusted to the hands of the American people. That he thought that they needed to remember those rules of order, of right, that are dictated and ordained by heaven. And the problem is, we haven't been doing that. We haven't been, we haven't even been following the Republican model of government. I hardly know anybody who is a part of a Republican model of government. They're all a part of a democracy. They're all federal persons who are part of a democracy. And they've chosen that because they've been greedy for gain. And they've gathered together in one purse. And they have coveted their neighbor's goods. And they've done this so long they can't think that it should be any other way. They can't even imagine that there is the possibility of another way. And they cannot find the energy to go the other way. But God is waking some of you up now. He is speaking to you in your hearts and in your minds. He is seeking to find a dwelling place in you. And you have to repent and turn around and start becoming that individual who is operating according to his name. So that you can be called by his name. Be recognized as doing things in his way. And that means you have to start taking care of one another without putting a gun to your neighbor's head and saying contribute. That's going to take a lot of patience. That's going to take a lot of love. It's going to take a lot of forgiveness. But that's good. You you need to practice that forgiveness. Forgiving everybody. Every time you forgive somebody, there is an opportunity that God will provide people that will forgive you. You know, that's one of the things in, in the Social Security system is clearly a system of Corbin. If you don't understand that, you can go to our website at hisholychurch.org and go up to the right-hand corner, click the little guy peering out with his hands, and uh, a search engine should open up and search the word Corbin. And you'll find all kinds of articles that mention Corbin. C-O-R-B-A-N. And uh, the Corbin of the Pharisees was a social security system that operated by you signing up and then they forced your contribution. I mean, you had to give it. They didn't have to force it. Most people just gave it uh, on in the month of Adar, uh, which would be our month of April. They gave it. And uh, they had guys going out collecting that. And, of course, if you didn't give it, then you would be penalized and punished because you had a contract with them to give it. But then they would take all that money and they built a big... Herod built his golden temple with that. And he built his temple of Roma with the same kind of funds. You know, that he had a, a temple to the God of Roma. Not just the temple that we see as the Jerusalem temple. But they were all getting their funds from this system of social security, this Corbin. And 
it was collected because you had to pay in once you became a member. And Jesus said that makes the word of God an effect because he wants you to make that free will choice because that's going to create different kinds of bonds between you. If you go the other way, like Herod went, and like you've gone, you'll end up with a society where people get raped in the streets and nobody does anything. Where people are robbed in the courts and nobody does anything. And and people's children are murdered because there are no guns at the school to protect them. And so their solution will be the zombie solution of taking all the guns away from everybody. Except they can't do it. They won't do it. They, and they don't really intend to take all the guns away from everybody. You know, if this... I believe that guns should only be in the hands of the government. I believe that. But I believe that you're supposed to be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. So, yeah, you're the only ones that's supposed to have the uh, guns. And the bureaucrats shouldn't have any guns. (laughs) They, They shouldn't have any guns. They don't need any guns. And in the kingdom of God, we shouldn't need those. For our bureaucrats, our servants, you have them. Not the, but the problem is you're not the government of the people for the people and by the people. You're you're the home of the slave. <laughs> uh, you are all in the mindset of slave. You want to be served. You didn't come to serve. You want to be served. You go to church for church services so that you will feel good. You don't go to church to be good. Christ came to do righteousness, not feel good. I'm sure he didn't feel good on the cross. He didn't hang on the cross to feel good. But people go to church, because that church makes me feel so uplifted. Why do you need to feel uplifted? It's because you're down. You're down in the dumps of sin. Because you're the slothful. So, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways of coveting their neighbor's goods, of electing men who can exercise authority one over the other, of sloth, then he will hear them and you will have the miracles you need to get through the days ahead. If you don't do that, He's already told you if you if you reject him, he's going to do take and take and take and take and take, and then when you cry out, I will not hear you. So, you're, if you're not going to listen to these harbingers, me, these events, if if all you want to do is store up bacon and beans somewhere, or maybe you don't eat bacon, you know, whatever, freeze dried beans, and create your little safe place off in the woods. You are in danger. You are in more danger than anything you can possibly imagine. And you will have no miracles at your disposal. Because you didn't care about others as much as you cared. Oh, you say, oh, I cared about others. I warned them. But did you come together? Did you get to know each other? Did you build trust? Or did you just get your little clique? Your little congregation? Your little groupies? No, you have to reach out. You have to come together. You have to help people way on the other side of the country who aren't ever going to do anything for you. You know, 
you know, if you go crabbing, you can cast your bread upon the water's end, but if you're only doing it over your crab net, so that if a crab comes there, you can scoop it up, that isn't what they're talking about. you got to cast away from you. You have to give freely, completely away for the good of other people you know and you don't know and that you don't know yet. You have to invest in the kingdom and the righteousness of God. And then you will start to become prepared to be the Minutemen for God. And, you know, that's because you are facing the zombie apocalypse. Most people are not going to wake up. As a matter of fact, they will kill you thinking that you are evil. And you will need a miracle to save you. And I think it will be a miracle if, if more people will repent and go the other way. Because they're not doing it now. So, that's kind of what his book was about, is this harbinger of uh, warning you. And I, I don't know what his final conclusion was. He's probably saying they have to go back to church and the synagogues and pray and, and do all this. But nobody knows what that looks like. And that's why I'm kind of talking in these terms. And it's not unusual. I talk about these things all the time. But I'm one of the few voices out here in the wilderness crying and telling you what it looks like. In Jeremiah 2.8, it says, The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Do not bear fruit. This is what he's saying in Jeremiah 2.8. You see, so you know he's telling them, warning over and over again. You know, and you you will not get God writing upon your hearts and your minds unless you start heeding these warnings. In Jeremiah twenty three twenty four, it says, "Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him?" Saith the Lord, "Do not I fill heaven and earth?" Saith the Lord, He will be where you need them to be. We've got. You know, I, I've often, people have say, come to me and said, how do you know that? And, you know, when I told them stuff about themselves, <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of always surprised because I didn't realize that I wasn't supposed to know that. I says, you know, I work for God. Would you think that what you do is a secret? You know, but I give, I try to give people the opportunity of, you know, self-confessions. Admitting to themselves, admitting to God, you know, you don't have to confess to me. I just assume you didn't, you know. But uh, uh, you need to confess to God your error. You need to stand naked before God and stop covering up what you've done wrong. That's we've been doing that since the garden. You're naked, okay? Stop covering that up. Start seeing that you've screwed up. Start being humble yourself. That's what that means. Humble yourself. Admit your error. That's great. That's good to discover that you made an error, that you've been doing things the wrong way, that you haven't really been listening to Christ. Now you can start doing it. But if you don't ever realize that, if you don't ever humble yourself, you're never going to get to second base. You've got to get on first base before you go to second base. I have heard what the prophet said that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, 
I have dreamed. <laughs> I have imagined. This is what, you know, this is what Paul says. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, keep the commandments. He says, don't commit adultery. You're mixing the word nomus up when he says he's done away with the law. He says he's done away with the decrees that cometh from the law. What decrees are those? The decrees where you have to pay into your social security. He's done away with that. Except you went and signed up again. Now, is he supposed to get crucified again? You have become merchandise. You have become human resources because you coveted your neighbor's goods. You want God to stand between you and Pharaoh again. Then you have to repent. Start taking care of one another. In Jeremiah twenty three twenty six, it says, How long shall this be in the hearts of the prophets and the prophesy, that prophesy lies? Yeah, they are prophets of deceit. Of uh, of their own hearts. That's why all these churches are so screwed up. Yeah, they go and incorporate and they go and file for 501c3. That's the evidence of the fact that they've already turned their back on God. And, and dreamed a dream. Imagined uh, eschatology. Which think to cause my people to forget my name... By their dreams, by their imaginations, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. All these guys, I, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but they go and they eat at the tables of Baal, and they even refuse to set the table of Christ. But they have their salvation. They are saved. They cannot lose that. Or so they dream. But they have set the table of Baal. They pray to Baal for their benefits. They say, please Baal, take away from my name. People don't understand. The money that you put into Social Security all your life is already spent to take care of the needy. And so it should be. Your offerings on the altars of God should be spent daily to take care of the needy in pure religion of your people. That's the way it was. Now, in God's kingdom, it's free will offerings, but in the kingdoms of the Pharisees, they are compelled offerings because you signed up. You agreed. You went down and said, yeah, I would like, I'll take a number. And I will become responsible for this. That money's gone. Now, if you want money to take care of you when you're 65, all you have to do is say, please, Mr. Benefactor, who exercises authority one over the other, will you go out and make sure my neighbor, even at it's hard times, make sure my neighbor pays in to take care of me. Now, if you're of Christ, you'll say, Never mind. I forgive that debt. And you will gather with people that may be able to help you and take care of you. Now, even though you haven't paid anything in to take care of their children. See, you're so far down the wrong road. But that's what you're going to have to do. Now, I'm not saying you can't collect your social security or anything I don't want you starving to death I don't want you out on the street and I don't want you all coming to my house either but start turning around 
Start building that other system. Start contributing and finding those people who are even thinking about living, not according to the dreams and eschatologies of false prophets, but according to the ways of Christ. They want to turn around. And it's going to take some time and some effort. And and without God's miracles, it's not going to get done. But you're not going to hear from God unless you repent. The prodigal son had to quit and leave the pig farmer and head back to his father's house with the intention of being a servant or his father would not have run out halfway and met him and celebrated. If he came back for any other reason, his father would not have run out to meet him. He didn't deserve it. It's still by his grace that he was... He was greeted by his father. But at least he repented and turned around and went the other way. And so must we. And so until we meet again, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.